0: So, um, on holiday recently, I met Dimitris. He's around 60 years old, almost spherical, largely gruff, but with a twinkle in his eye. And he works at Bukhari Taverna in Corfu. And every morning, his job is to set the tables for his lunchtime service. And there are around 25 tables, and they're all outside under a veranda at the edge of the Ionian Sea. And Dimitri puts some music on and goes about his business methodically. How are you doing this morning, Dimitri? I ask him. And he points in the general direction of the mountains, taking in the calm blue sea and a spiral of white cloud in an otherwise clear sky. And he gives a little skip and says, Ooppa! And this I translate as, How do you think I'm doing, you daft tourist? I'm laying the flipping tables again, but at least I'm doing it in the company of these glorious mountains. And I spent a fair bit of time considering the same mountains, and as a result, I'd like to offer you this morning not a beginning, middle, and end talk, but more an album of 11 tracks or thoughts inspired by various mountains. Number one, ain't no mountain high enough. So there have been many arguments down through the years as to what constitutes a mountain. When does a hill become a mountain? Is a mount really a baby mountain or a hill? There's even been a film about an Englishman going up a hill and coming back down a mountain. So for the purposes of this morning, this judge's decision is final. And your personal decision is also final. If it feels to you like a mountain, it is. The same with a hill. And some days, a hill can feel like a mountain. And other days, a mountain can feel like a hill. Number two, gold in them hills. The highest point in central London is understood to be Parliament Hill on Hampstead Heath. And that's about four kilometres walk from this church. And Parliament Hill was acquired for the people by the Metropolitan Board of Works in 1888 for £300,000 and without this wise intervention we probably wouldn't be able to walk all the way up there to see the view of the city rolled out beneath us. The Metropolitan Board of Works was set up to help London through the chaos of such rapid growth as a city. And Sir John Thwaites was the first chairman of the board, and he was a strict Baptist. That's a denomination, he wasn't just a strict Baptist, he was a strict Baptist. A churchwarden, a deacon, and a preacher. He was also responsible for getting the construction of London's sewerage system underway. And Sir John also supported the early closing movement for shop workers, so they didn't have to work all the hours God sent. He was known for being rather formal and other board members called him the stiffen and he wasn't a Londoner. He grew up on a farm surrounded by the peaks of the Lake District and I am 94% certain that Sir John's early experience of those high points meant he knew London's Parliament Hill had to be kept for the use of ordinary folks. Everyone should have access to high points. Number three, go tell it on the mountain. The many people who wrote the Bible lived amongst mountains. And unsurprisingly, their stories are illustrated by the high points around them. So Noah's Ark comes to rest on Mount Ararat. Moses is confronted with the burning bush on Mount Sinai. Then he first sees the promised land of milk and honey from Mount Nebo. And Abraham climbs Mount Moriah sacrifice his son. So mountains are where the important stuff happens. In the Bible, you rarely climb up a mountain and nothing at all happens. Number four, falling, which is the theme from Twin Peaks. There were two very important mountains in early Jewish history. They were called Gerizim and Ebal. That's my pronunciation, I'm sticking with it. Gerizim was lush and fertile and called the mountain of blessings. And Ebal was rocky and known as the mountain of curses. And there's a point in the book of Deuteronomy and also in the Jewish Talmud where the tribes of Israel are gathered at the foothills of these two mountains. They must turn to face Ebal as a list of bad behavior that will incur the wrath of God is read out idolatry, bribery, murder, that sort of thing. And then they turn and face gerizim for the rules of good behaviour that will invite God's blessing. And after each rule, all the people were expected to show their agreement by saying, Amen. And scholars of the Jewish faith see this as the moment when the rule of law was acknowledged together by the people. And those mountains were a huge, uncompromising symbol of their assenting Amen. Number five, river deep, mountain high, brackets, do I love you, my oh my. So Jesus has his own mount of blessings too, Mount Eremos, or the Mount of the Beatitudes. And that's where we hear him preach, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And we've moved on a bit by this New Testament time, as Jesus doesn't balance it out by moving to another mountain for a list of curses. Cursed are the impure in heart, for they shan't see God, is not something that Jesus feels the need to say. And there's another lovely moment in the New Testament where Jesus must be preaching in the open air. And he uses a mountain as a living illustration of his thinking. He says, Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed... You can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So imagine being a follower of Jesus, being able to remember his teachings by walking through a living landscape. Yep, that's the place of blessings and that's the big one that reminds me I can do pretty much anything if I set a faithful heart to it. Number six, a deal with God. For Jesus, mountains are where he experiences one of the lowest points of his life and then the absolute heights. The Mount of Olives, one of three high points on a ridge overlooking old Jerusalem, is where he wrestles in prayer with his heavenly father over his forthcoming death. And another unnamed mountain is where his transfiguration and return to that heavenly father takes place later in the story. Now, even to a contemporary Christian who strives to believe that God is everywhere, it's very hard to let go of that notion, the higher you go, the closer you are to God. Nan Shepherd, a pioneering Scottish poet and mountaineer, describes the transfiguring power of mountains in a book she wrote in the 1930s called The Living Mountain. And in it, she writes about repeated visits to her beloved Cairngorms. She writes, it's an experience that grows. Undistinguished days add their part. And now and then, unpredictable and unforgettable, come the hours when heaven and earth fall away and one sees a new creation. The many details come for a moment into perfect focus and one can read at last the word that has been from the beginning. Number seven, she'll be coming round the mountain. I suspect our congregation divides into people who've sung this one on a bus and those who are wondering what on earth I'm on about. So this song has its origins in a spiritual called When the Chariot Comes, first published in the old plantation hymn book of 1899. And it's all about the second coming of Jesus and the she coming around the mountain is the chariot that he is driving. And according to the hymn, this is the moment of the rapture, when Jesus will gather us all up and take us to heaven. So no surprises that this will happen on a mountain. Number eight, climb every mountain. I have a few issues with Rodgers and Hammerstein and this number from The Sound of Music, because I don't think it's necessary to climb every mountain, or indeed any mountain at all. If that's not your thing, they can be scary, dangerous and should definitely not be attempted unless you've had some sort of training and are properly equipped. So I grew up hearing about tourists in flip-flops being rescued from Welsh mountaintops, And I think that explains why the highest peak in my home country, Arwythwa or Snowdon is as yet untroubled by my feet. But looking at it from afar brings me a great deal of comfort. It's part of the landscape of my life. And neither is Arvidhva immutable and unchanging. Because as Nan Shepherd says, the mountain changes all the time, as season and weather shadow and light it a hundred different ways. So merely watching mountains can be an emotional business. You don't have to climb them for perspective and for challenge. Number nine, king of the mountain. The other thing that changes a mountain every single time is us. Regardless of whether we're contemplating their magnificence from the ground or making a climb, we're always bringing a different self to those high places. We can be more or less energetic, ready for a challenge or seeking comfort, wanting to pray or shout to hear our voices echo down the valley. Mountains can terrify us as their looming constancy reminds us how small and inconsequential we are, and then delight us for exactly the same reason. Mountains can push us on to achieve our goals, and other times, they bring us home. Number 10. Running up that hill. So my favourite mountain is Agogath, or the Great Torm. It's a headland off Landidno in North Wales, and it's about nine kilometres run from the door of my dad's place round Agogath, the Orm, and home again. Now, the first half is almost entirely uphill, and it's a steep old tormentor of a hill. And my challenge is always to keep trotting up to the halfway point, which is marked by a tea room called The Rest and Be Thankful. Now, I bet you're thinking, that sounds like a delightful place. It isn't. You can't ever rely on it to be open. And when it is, you are served by the most unsettling couple of all time, straight out of a Stephen King novel. (laughs) So I've learned never to rest there, but to push on through and then enjoy the downhill bit. That's when my rush of thankfulness arrives. So number 11, homeward bound. And I want to finish with something special from the Maori people of New Zealand, or Aotearoa the land of the long white cloud and they have a very special way of doing introductions it's called a pepiha and it's a kind of conversation template which is intended to place you in the land and provide something of your origin story for new people you meet so you give your name the mountain that speaks to your heart the river or lake that eases your worries then your tribe and your meeting house so I'd be Rian, my mountain would be a Gogath, would be my lake, I come from the tribe of Roberts. I love saying that, I come from the tribe of Roberts. <laughs> and St Luke's West Holloway is my meeting house. And there's a project in New Zealand now to encourage non maori people to adopt this form of introduction in a respectful way. And it feels a whole lot more nuanced and helpful than where are you from or what do you do? And I was wondering if Jesus would say the Mount of Olives spoke to his heart and the Sea of Galilee eased his worries. He would trace his human ancestry to the tribe of Judah and we could have a long conversation as to what his meeting house might be. Mm -hmm. So if I ask you, which mountain speaks to your heart? You might know the answer straight away or you you might have yet to find a mountain to call your own. Or maybe you've got a few to choose from and you're not quite ready to settle on your absolute favourite. But one day there will be a place you watch or climb, where your eyes rest or your heart pounds. A mountain that blesses you and makes you think of heaven, majestically challenges you and brings you home.